Hi, everybody. This is Rabbi David Foreman. And this is Rifki Stern. And we are here together in Parsha Lab land, and we are going to be talking today about Parshat Achremot. Rifki, you psyched? Yeah, I can't wait. Thanks for having me back. We were just talking, actually, about some user reaction to our Shmini Parsha, which I think was personally uh, a real thrill to be able to do together. Uh, we were looking at intertextual parallels in Parshat Shmini that brought us all the way to the very end of Tanakh to, of all things, the Book of Esther. What I have in mind to do with you in Achremad is try to explore a tantalizing epilogue to our uh, Shmini podcast uh, here that seems to be lurking in Achremad. So you up to that? I can't wait. I think it's really crazy how there are Perm and Esther reverberations all throughout Tanakh, and it's really exciting to, to see these here. To put it differently, in this case, since Esther comes later, right. there are Esther is uh, serving as a kind of summation of a lot of themes in Tanakh uh, and reverberations of, in this case, themes in Vayikra. But the point is the same. You'd never expect to find it in the book of Esther. Exactly. Uh, if I kind of quizzed you and said, you know, what's the last thing you'd think you'd hear about in the book of Esther? It'd be Parshat Shmini and Achremot, right? Right. So if you look at Achremot itself, the reason why I'm interested in it is because Achremot, to some extent, is a kind of epilogue to Shmini, to these themes of the Shivat Yimei Miluim. When you, you look at Parshat Achremot at the beginning, you say, what's it really about? It's about the Avod of Yom Kippur. And if I would say to you, Rifki, you know, free associate, give me a little Rorschach test. I'm going to say something and you, you give me three or four themes that you think relates to it. Okay. okay you ready? Yom Kippur Avoda. Um, blood. Okay. <laughs> My first thought. Um, let's see. Number two is, I think, Kohen Gadol, right? It's not something that I, Rifki, participate in. It's really something that the Kohen Gadol does on behalf of me. Mm-hmm. Give me one more thing. Yeah, I think the last thing would really be Beis HaMikdash, right? It's not something that nowadays we spend a lot of time in Yom Kippur in shul, in our Mikdash Ma'at, but back then the entire thing took place in the base of Mikdash. Those are my those are my three okay. reform and how I do. So you're thinking about blood, you're thinking about Beta Mikdash, you're thinking about the Kohen, maybe you're even thinking about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're thinking about uh, all of these themes, sins and washing them away. And yet that's not the way the Torah itself introduces the Avot of Yom Kippur. It actually, of all things, takes us back to Shmini. It takes us back to the days of the dedication of the Mikdash itself. Look at how it begins, right? Because if I were beginning the, the Yom Kippur Avoda, I would have talked about it. There's going to be this thing, and it's Yom Kippur, and it's going to have this special Avoda, this special service, and it's going to be so great. It's going to give you forgiveness from all your sins, and here's how you do it. That's how I would have started. It's not how the Chumash starts. Look how the Chumash starts. I'm reading now from just the very beginning of the Parsha, Perak Tetzayin, uh, chapter 16, verse 1 in Leviticus. God calls to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aaron, in their coming close before God and their dying. And what does God say after the death of the two sons of Aaron? Speak to Aaron your brother. Let him not come in all the time into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum, inside the curtain where the Holy of Holies is, in front of the covering of the ark, that's on the ark, because I don't want him to die, and therefore let him not come at all times into this place. 
And it's such a dangerous place because in a cloud, I, God, appear over the kapara, the covering of the ark. So this is a place in which transcendence is imminent, in which God is there in the world, and it's it's dangerous for human beings to encounter. And therefore, bezot yavo aron ala kodesh. Only through this shall aron come into the kodesh. Once a year shall aron come into this holy of holies, and he should do it this way. And then we get into the whole avoda, the whole special service of Yom Kippur. So look how counterintuitive that is. I mean, that has nothing to do with Yom Kippur, the way you and I would think about it. We're not talking about sin, washing away sin. We're not talking about how special this avoda is. We're talking about the miluim, those days of miluim, those days in which the tabernacle was first consecrated and something terrible happened. Two sons of Aaron died, and that forms the backdrop. Tell Aaron the following, that he should not come into the Holy of Holies all the time so that he would risk death. Tell him this after the deaths of the two sons of Aaron, who in fact died because of an improper approach into the Holy of Holies. Tell him this is how you enter the Holy of Holies. So strangely and fascinatingly, the Yom Kippur service is actually being seen primarily as the way in which the consecration of the Mikdash could be redone in a successful way. And and that's so counterintuitive. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. That was my first instinct also, right? We saw Nadav and Avihu as really a failed approach to God, a failed approach to the service in the Mishkan. And this seems to be the way that God says to Moshe, hey, I know that one went poorly, but here's a way in which we can do it. And it's going to be a successful way in which you enter the Mishkan. And Rabbi Foreman, if, if I'm, I know I'm being a little presumptuous, but that seems to me also very clearly, you know, I'm, maybe I'm primed for it, but just like Vashti and just like Esther. Am I am I on the right right track there? You are totally channeling my thoughts yes. here. Right? Because Shmini it was connected as we saw to to Esther. And what we saw in Esther was that there were all these parallels to what happened in Parsha Shmini. And and particularly there was this encounter with the king that went poorly. And if you and you paid attention to those those intertextual parallels, you found that right in the beginning of the Megillah, chapter one, there is a queen that is called upon to come into the inner sanctum of the king, and she won't come. So it's the sort of inverse of the Nadav and Avihu story, right? Because of the Nadav and Avihu story, right, they, came they when were they weren't not called. called, and they came improperly. And here the inverse of that is Vashti is called, and she refuses to come, and and that's where all those language parallels sort of appear in the Megillah, taking us back to the Nadav and Avihu story. So as Rifki is intuiting, if the nut of an Avihu story had a replay or has a replay in Vayikra, and the replay of it is the intended service of the Kohen Gadol on every Yom Kippur, as described in Akhremot, that Akhremot says that there is a way to do what nut of an Avihu did correctly, and here's what you do. Isn't it interesting that the Megillah also has a way to do what Vashti did incorrectly, and here's what you do. Because Vashti is not the only queen who is called upon to sort of make this approach to the king. There's another queen who finds herself in a very similar place, and that is, of course, Esther. There's a moment when Esther needs to make an approach to the king. And the funny thing is, if you look carefully at Esther's approach to the king, which is what I want to do with you now, you're going to hear the parallels to wouldn't you know it, Acharimot. So come with me over here. I, I'm going to 
read something in the book of Esther, and you're going to tell me what about it reminds you of the Yom Kippur Avodah, just even the little part that we just we just read together. Okay. Okay. So let's just remember what we talked about, that little introduction about the death of the two sons of Aaron, introducing the Yom Kippur Avodah. Let's go now to Esther's approach to the king and just kind of listen for the resonances. I'm reading now from Esther chapter four. Mordechai says, Esther, you got to go to the king. We need you right? This is the moment you've got to reveal who it is that you really are. Oh, and what happens essentially is that Esther demurs and she's like, says, I can't do it. Uh, I can't do it because I have not been called into the king's courtyard, right? The, if you come into the king's courtyard and you're not called, you do that on pain of death. You're going to die. Rifki, what does this remind you of? That God says explicitly, if you come in when you're not called, he says, if you, our own, uh, come in, then you will die, right? Velo yamut. Exactly. Do it the right way so that you do not die. Right. We, we know death is is on the table here. So again, when Esther says, uh, her language is, uh, everybody knows, all of the servants of the king know, anybody who comes into the inner sanctum, who is not called, who's coming in against the rules, they are going to die. The decree against them is that they must die. There's just one way to do it that the king allows, and then you live. That's really the, exactly the formulation that we have at the beginning here, which is that, you know, if you come in any old time, you're going to die. There's one way to do it where you won't die, right? You can't just come in any old way, right? Here's how you have to do it that you won't die, right? Because it's it's dangerous. The king is there. The divine king is there. Well, the earthly king is in the palace. And if you come into his inner sanctum, you risk death as well. Now, let's keep on reading here in Esther's approach to the king. So what happens? Mordechai hears what Esther says, and Mordechai then responds. So take a look at Mordechai's response and listen carefully to it. And again, Rivki, I ask you, what about Mordechai's response also resonates with just those initial first couple sentences that we just read in the Yom Kippur Avodah? Here's Mordechai. Vayomer Mordechai Lashiv Esther. Mordechai then says to respond to Esther, Al Esther, don't think for a minute that you alone will be able to survive the onslaught, taking shelter and refuge in the palace. Im hazot, if you remain silent at this time, will all be fine. You will be the one who's destroyed. And who knows if it was for this moment that you have come into the the queenship. So again, listen carefully to that language. Does anything okay, about that I, language I think I, it's only one word, but I think it's the language of eight, because God also says about our own, Good. you cannot just enter the Kodesh whenever you want. The, the time is very specific. Good. Look at that language of eight, which is exactly the same. But it's not just eight. It's eight paired with one word, because look how that goes in verse two and contrast it to verse three. Verse two. You can't mm. come at any old time to the Kodesh. Rifki, when can you come, according to verse 3? Oh, you can only come with this. Mm-hmm. You can't come in any old eight. Instead, come. What does that remind you of, Esther? Let me read it to you one more time. 
Mordechai, im hachresh tachrishi, if you keep silent, ba'et hazot. Right. If you keep silent at this time, so we'll be fine without you. And who knows? If it was for just this moment, right? It's the merger of those two words, right? Isn't that fascinating? If you go back to the Yom Kippur Avoda, it's, right, you can't come any old time, b'chol eight. Rather, you have to come at a particular time, b'zot. And now the Megillah seemingly intentionally plays off of those words, eight and b'zot. Mordechai, talking about the one propitious moment, says, you know, normally you can't come, but if this a designated moment passes and you don't go, imacharish tacharishi ba'et hazot, not old, at any old time, but at this particular time, right? Then you've missed your chance. Revach will be fine, but you'll you'll be the one to die. Who knows if this was the moment we were all waiting for? So it sounds like we might be on for something, but let's not continue, right? And and take a look at this and and go a little bit go a little bit further. Let me introduce a third element here, right? We talked about the element of death. When you aren't called, that's element number one. Element two, ba'et hazot. What about element three? Esther then responds to Mordechai and says, fine, here's what I want you to do. Leich knoset kol hayudim, get everyone together, v'tsumu alai, v'al tochlu v'al tishtu shloshrimim. Everyone should fast. Gamani v'naratai atzum kem. Me and my servants, we will also fast. Uvechein avo el hamelach asher lo kadat. And that's how I will come to the king when I am not called. Fasting while you're coming to the king in a special time? What does that remind you of? That's exactly Yom Kippur. It's exactly Yom Kippur, right? Bezot Yavo Aaron Kadesh. This is how Aaron has to come. She comes fasting, just as Aaron was fasting. Plus, what is she wearing? Read a little bit more. Go into, we've been looking at verse 3, Rifki. Look at verse 4. What do we hear in verse 4 in the Yom Kippur Avodah? Ketoned Bad Kodesh. Oh, very cool. He has specific clothing that he has to wear. Uh, oh, he does, doesn't he? Very special clothing. And if you remember back to Shmini, what did we hear about the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol? What do they remind you of in the palace? They are the Begadim of royalty. They're the, the clothes of royalty. Right. Now, what does Esther have to wear? Esther wears specific Big Day Malchut. Exactly. Vayihi Bayamashlishi, the verse says in the beginning of chapter 5, Vatilbash Esther Malchut. Can't come to the king if you're not wearing your special clothes. Now, I want to just point out to you, Rifki, we've had four parallels now before Esther going to, when Esther going to the king, taking us back to the Yom Kippur Avoda. And it's not just that there's four general parallels. They've actually proceeded in order. Mm-hmm. The first issue is Esther's fear of dying, right? Because people might die, followed by the Ba'et Hazot notion that, no, there's a specific moment that you could come, followed by, fine, I'm going to go, and this is how I'm going to go, and followed by, and I'm going to be wearing these clothes. Well, those four parallels happen in order in the Yom Kippur Avodah. First, the issue that if you don't come in at the right time, if you come in all the time, you can die, right? Element number one. And then the whole, that there's a special moment, bezot, this is the moment that you can come, not Bechol eight, but Bezot, the eight Hazot connection. And then you, Aaron's coming into the Kodesh, Yavo Aaron El Kodesh, element number three, he's going to come in, presumably fasting. And then element number four, Ketonet Bad Kodesh Yilbash, he's going to be wearing a special clothes, just like Esther. So it's kind of remarkable here. Do the parallels continue? Well, let's see if we can find a fifth. Here, Rifki, I want you to keep on sort of reading and now go to the next verse. Verse five and verse six are the beginnings of these offerings, 
Aaron's going to come. V'hikriv Aaron at parachatat asherlo. He's going to come, and he's going to be coming with this sort of sin offering, right? What does that remind you of, that language and idea? V'hikriv Aaron at parachatat asherlo. First thing Aaron has to do is bring a personal sin offering. Well, if you think about it, what's really the first thing Esther has to do? Ooh. Is there anything that would be analogous to the personal sin offering for Esther? I, I think, I mean, this might be a stretch, but I think that's Esther herself. Explain. Because when she enters the room, she doesn't know. She's scared. The the king might say to her, what are you doing? You were not allowed in this room without permission. Off with your head. You're dead. You're, you're done. But what she does when she enters that room, the king raises his scepter and then she herself enters the room. She can only enter once she knows that she is accepted. And that seems to be the acceptance, as it were, of the sin offering. Yeah. And now look at the language of it back in verse 2. And when the king saw Esther, he reaches out with his scepter, Asher Briado Vatikrav Esther, Batiga Barosha Shardid. And she draws close and touches the scepter. That's when the king accepts her as she is, even though she's going against the law. And that language, Vatikrav, is a perfect echo of the Hikriv Aaron at Parachatat He's coming with this sin offering. There might also be another element of sin. Which is, if you think about it, there's a little deception going on here, and it's been going on here in Esther. If there's any sort of sin in Esther, which Mordechai is saying, look, it's time to come clean before the king, you know, what might that sin be? Esther has been hiding something, and maybe she should, maybe she shouldn't, but she hasn't been been straight with the king about who she is. Well, she's coming close to kind of make that big reveal. You have to understand who I really right. am. And, and that, that also feels like us, just like Yom Kippur, right? On Yom Kippur, we, we are opening ourselves up to that complete honesty. We say, God, exactly. you know, we have that relationship and this is me, you know, I'm sorry. And I, I maybe, maybe I failed in a lot of ways, but this is me and I, I still want that relationship with you. Can you still accept me? Can you, can I be honest with you? And can you still love me? And to me, Rifki, that's one of the like the main takeaways here is this kind of it, it's showing you what it to, in essence the sin offering is really all about. It's that we present us to the king as we really are. Wow. The Yom Kippur is the moment where we can just say, "Look, we might be dressed up in all these royal clothes, but inside is just a fragile human being with his sins." I have to come to you with who I really am. And, and, and you just have to accept me and we wait for the king to give us the scepter and to be accepted. And it's what Esther is doing now with the king. And it's what we all do, what the Kohen Gadol does on our behalf. And if you think about it, Rifki, just to kind of close out the, the parallels here, I'll leave everybody with a little bit of a, of a, a challenge as you think about it, because I don't know what all of this means. But one thing which I think is special is, well, first of all, if you think about, if you think about the Kangala has more than one request. He has a personal request, which is for personal wrongdoing, and then a national request. He's asking for everyone, for the people, wow. to all be saved and not be destroyed. What about us? Yeah, that's exactly what she does. She first says, look, this is me. This is who I am. I, I know I'm sort of breaking the rules right now. And then she goes into, and I need you to save my people. Don't just save me, right? You can just save me if you want. I'm your wife. That would be understandable. But save everyone. That's that powerful national request. Exactly. And isn't it fascinating, in light of all of this, that our sages tell us something about Purim, don't they? They tell us it's a, that there's another holiday Whoa. that's kind of like Purim. And what is it? Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippur is a Yom Kippurim, a day just like Purim. And maybe we're starting to understand how. And if you think about it, what are the two holidays that have a goral 
a lottery associated with them. Wow. Are. Yeah, that's Sir Chatat and Sir Azazel, right? The Torah tells us about these two different seers, and there's a there's a lottery that determines what happens with the two of them. The same way in, right. in the Purim story, we have this Gora, we have this lottery that Haman uses to determine when we're going to be killed. That's right. Is the lottery somehow between these two animals in the story of the Yom Kippur Avoda, does it find an echo in the lottery of the Purim story itself? How How is it that Purim plays out more completely as a Yom Kippur story. So there's a lot more to be said here. One of these days, Rivki, I think you and I are going to be destined to do a course on this. Maybe next Purim we'll, we'll take these themes and see if we can run with them a little bit more. But I wanted to just at least tease some of this uh, with our listeners in Parsha. It feels to me like Achrein Mot is not just a sequel to Shmini, uh, but it's a sequel to Shmini fascinatingly in an intertextual parallel way, that the intertextual parallels of Shmini taking you all the way to the Megillah also have their sequel, that Vashti's failed approach, just like Nadavanaviu, now has an echo in Esther's successful approach, and that just as Achremot, the, the Yom Kippur Avodah, becomes the epilogue to Nadavanaviu, Esther's approach becomes the epilogue to Vashti's and becomes the kind of paradigm for a new kind of lottery and a new kind of expiation for sin at the very end of the Megillah that somehow has these echoes and major chords of Yom Kippur itself. Wow, it's pretty incredible that the elegance of the way these texts interact are, are really mind-blowing. And they really, as you were sort of building your case, I, re- I really had chills. This is really incredible. So thank you so much for, for having me you having me on. And thank you all so much for listening. As always, we really, really, really appreciate your feedback. Please email us. And as always, please also um, rate and review us in the iTunes store. It means a lot and it can help other people find this podcast as well. Um, and if you really love us and want to help us create more of this, please subscribe at alphbeta.org. Thank you all so much. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye.